This is Joy. And this is Claire. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are in the world. I wonder what time people listen to us the most. Is it like a morning walk? Is it lulling you to sleep? Spread out. I hope we're not lulling you to sleep. I know. I think a lot of people listen first thing in the morning, but it does seem to be sort of spread out throughout the day. Some people will listen when they're walking their dogs over lunch or on their commute to and or from work, whatever you're doing. Hello. Hello. We're recording this on July 4th. Mm -hmm. Well, it feels a little anticlimactic. It feels real. I was going to say, how are you feeling about 4th of July? I mean, so as most of you know, the 4th of July is a big holiday in my family. Brandon was very into fireworks. And when he was growing up, he and his dad used to be part of this professional pyrotechnics association. And they would go to these conventions every year, which would be held in like very rural towns with big on like the big state fairground or whatever for th- two or three days, you would just spend all day, every day, like setting off fireworks and firecrackers and building rockets and stuff. And so for us, it's really more about having the ability to purchase fireworks. <laughs> In Colorado, the firework laws are pretty strict. You can't yeah. have anything that leaves the ground, but Wyoming, which is only about just an hour a and hop, away, skip and a jump away. Uh, does not have that law. And they have a bunch of firework stands uh, directly Just, across the border. Yeah, right across the border. Like you they drive across the border around. and your next exit is like five ginormous black cat stands. And yeah. I, when I say ginormous, I mean like warehouse sized. Yeah. So we haven't gone this year. We didn't go this year, but we went last year. And the problem is that last year, for the last five years, we have lived in a neighborhood where everyone is setting off so many fireworks starting in June. And I know people are listening. There's a lot of mixed feelings about fireworks. We are really lucky. Our dog does not care about fireworks. Our kids love them. We try to be really respectful. And because, I mean, the kids go to bed at like eight, right? So we nine times out of 10 are setting off fireworks, like still in daylight hours. I think you still get a lot of enjoyment out of them, you know? And so we're not the people who are up until midnight doing them, but we definitely are lighting them off. Our previous neighborhood, everyone lit off fireworks all night long for weeks. And a lot of our uh, families in our previous neighborhood um, were either from Mexico or they had extended family in Mexico. And they would go to Mexico and buy these gigantic, like the big professional firework mortars and drive home with them, I mean, for weeks. So this neighborhood that we moved into is a little less firework friendly. Mm -hmm. How do you know this? Well, it's very obvious because it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And more quiet. I mean, there's still plenty of fireworks going off, but it's not like you don't feel like it's a firework show in your driveway every night, which is how the other place felt. We're kind of, we decided this year we were going to kind of play it, play it by ear and see you just kind of feel it out. And then next year we'll probably go to Wyoming <laughs> and purchase the fireworks and purchase the fireworks. But yeah. you can still get, you know, especially for Evie and Miles with their ages, the little, not the little, the ground fountains are still really fun for them. Sparklers are fun. They have this thing where um, they sell it all over where it's like a giant sword and then you light that tip on fire and it basically is like a huge sparkler but with like a sword handle that sounds amazing <laughs> so as you can imagine miles loves that yeah of course um so you know there's still some fun stuff but all that to say for us the fourth of july is really about lighting stuff on fire and 
the, the, uh, I've never really had like a strong patriotic reaction to the 4th of July, but this year even less so. Yeah. So this year I feel like just putting on all of my feminist t-shirts and anything right. that's the most non red, white, and blue. <laughs> I know. Uh, and I think, you know, each year I read the like um the Frederick Douglass essay about Fourth of July and I see a lot of posts by indigenous folks who I follow about, you know, how the constitution refers to Native Americans as uh, savages and mm-hmm. um there's one in particular word that I'm spacing on right now. I'm so sorry, but over the years, over my life, it's just so it gets harder and harder to ignore. And not that I want to ignore, but I think that, you know, it's something that is easy to ignore if you're a white person in America. Um, If you want to ignore it, it's easy to do so that the 4th of July really is for white colonizers, people who come, you know, are descendants of colonizers. So, you know, that's something to think about. But anyway, the other big news in our house is that Evie just moved out of a crib last night. (gasps) That is, that's big. Okay, so, so what was the decision? Because I remember a few weeks ago you were like, I was like, she'll stay in there until college. Right. Like, what uh, was the turning point? So, Evie's three and a half. She's well beyond the age that most people, kids generally move into a crib or move from a crib to a bed sometime between two and three. And typically that's because your toddler will learn how to crawl out of the crib and will fall out. And then you're like, well, I guess you're sleeping in a bed tonight. <laughs> And I have friends whose kids have had concussions, who have broken their arms. Like, this is a very common thing is that the kid will crawl out, climb out. Evie has never, like one time she had like a week where she tried to climb out and she was dropping onto this pile of stuffed animals that was sort of shoved at the bottom of her bed. And so we just moved the pile of stuffed animals. And that was that. She never tried it again. But there are other physical limits to being in a crib. There are weight limits. There are height limits. And I don't, we got our crib off Craigslist. So I don't know particularly what that crib's limits are. The weight limits usually are pretty high. They're, you know, over a hundred pounds. She was definitely beyond that, the height, excuse me, the weight limits are high, but she was definitely beyond the height limit. She has a real bed at my mom's house um, where she sleeps, you know, somewhat regularly. And it has these unicorn sheets from Target that my mom got. So Evie- Well, that's a game changer right there. (laughs) Exactly. She kept being like, I want a unicorn bed. I want a unicorn bed. And we have an extra twin mattress. Miles sleeps on a full bed. And we have the twin mattress from when he was a little bit littler before he graduated to a full. Although this is a hot tip. If you have a young child, here's a tip coming at you. Buy a full mattress for your child because it makes it so much easier. I mean, no matter what type of parenting you do, there will be nights where you sleep in your child's bed. And if you have a full bed, then you can actually enjoy yourself (laughs) and not have to like be in a pencil next to the wall or on the floor because they're in a twin bed. However, so we have this extra twin mattress and eventually Evie will graduate to a full, but we got the unicorn sheets, moved her in and she actually did really well. Um, I, you know, she has slept in a, in a rail bed a couple of times when we've gone on vacation and stayed at Airbnb, like she slept in one at my mom. So she's kind of got the the deal. She did get up a couple of times and I, I would hear her walking down the stairs and then just see her face like peeking around the stairs. Uh. Like, <laughs> And guess what she said? She came out and she goes, I just want to talk about my feelings today. Can you come upstairs so we can talk about my feelings today? (laughs) And I'm like, you little Brandon. (laughs) I would like to talk feelings. Like she knows. She's like, you're not going to say no if I ask you to talk about my feelings. funny. That's so funny. I was like, yeah, sweetie, let's go back upstairs. Let's talk about your your feelings. Brandon's like, like, we'll, we'll, Brandon's like, hold my beer. We'll do this all day. Exactly. She did that a couple of times. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm sitting in the hall. So I did the hall sit, which all parents are familiar with the hall sit. 
And she fell asleep within 10, 15 minutes once she realized that she couldn't get out of bed without me, re- you know, that I was sitting in the hall. Right. <laughs> and she slept, she got up one time in the night and said, I'm really cold. I mean, she, she refused because of the unicorn sheets. She refused to put a blanket on her bed. She only wanted to sleep with the unicorn flat sheet. So we put her in some thicker pajamas. You know, it's the middle of summer. She's been sleeping in shorts and a t-shirt. So we put her in some fleece pajama pants, but she still had bare arms. And so I think that was, so, you know, when I got up at two in the morning or whatever, she, she accepted the blanket. (laughs) Um, She's like, I I give in. Yeah. She's like, I get it now. I understand why you can't just sleep with a flat sheet, especially when you're a kid, like kids kick their blankets off all night. So there you have it. That's... But we were we were disassembling the crib and we were like, well, this is kind of sad. Like, yes, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Those changes are big. It's kind of like you're excited for her to move on to a big bed, but then you're like, oh, but this doesn't this means she's not a little baby anymore. Yeah, and we've talked about this, you know, around like that feeling of really heartbreak that goes with your kids growing up that it doesn't mean that you aren't grateful. It doesn't mean that you right. don't love the phase that they're at, but there is a deep nostalgia for realizing And it. Okay. Also to be clear, it doesn't mean that as we've talked about, I don't love the newborn stage. So I'm not really referring to the newborn stage in this comment, but it does mean that you are nostalgic for all those things about the smaller versions of them that you really loved and took so much joy from. And then now those are never going to be there again. These sorts of milestones, you realize like how quickly it goes. And mm-hmm. you think, wait a minute, that and it happened so that happened so fast. She's not in a crib anymore. She's been in a crib for three years. Like mm-hmm. now what? Now she's in this little unicorn bed. Well, how long, you know, will she be in the unicorn bed for? Anyway, she's going so, to college tomorrow. It's like <laughs> it really sometimes feels that way where yeah. you're like, I look around, I'm especially Miles. I'm yeah. barely a head taller than Miles, and he is six. Yeah, yeah. He's growing up. T- way too fast and he is so like yesterday we were talking about we were you know just kind of talking about what we we're gonna do the rest of the day and the kids had watched a movie in the morning because there's no rules during summer they'd watched a movie in the morning they watched toy story which i love still so good that and is such a classic oh and it's yeah it it's really so is good. Mm-hmm. so he, we had just eaten lunch and he was like can we watch a movie and i said no you guys already watched a movie we can maybe watch some tv later but we need to find something else to do and i said it just like that no and then and he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he's like mom the next time you give me an answer like that will you say it a little more politely oh i was like this is a little sensitive heart yeah <laughs> like okay <laughs> feedback Uh, is taken feedback feedback taken taken, but also like he's just you know this little six-year-old giving me feedback oh god he did that with brandon something i did to brandon the other day maybe oh i wanted to it was wait he he said that he said that to brandon or something i said something like kind of sharp to brandon okay miles gave me feedback gave you feedback about that okay yeah and i was like kids are no brandon got home he got home and I have this new hoodie and Brandon steals my clothes because if I buy something that's even one size oversized for me, Brandon can fit it. He's got really long arms, but mm-hmm. his torso is so thin that when it comes to a lot of, he particularly steals my hats, first of all, but this particular hoodie is like a unisex fit and it's oversized for me. So it does fit him. And he came home wearing it. And Brandon and I just have different opinions about how to take care of our things. What do you, mean different, I mean? op- what do you mean different opinions about how to take care of things? Like, Brandon are you talking take about care of his stuff? Like, like what does he, that mean though? What is he like? will leave it in a crumble ball on the floor of the car for six months. Okay. You know, he'll like, he will not wash it until it gets so stinky that you can't do anything about it. He'll wear things 
you know, he'll be messing with the meat smoker or chopping wood or something and he won't like, or painting and he won't like change into, he doesn't have like a set of clothes of like, oh, these are the clothes I wear when I have to like do something dirty and I want to change into my like crappy clothes that can get dirty. All his clothes fall in that category as far as he's, con- as far as he's concerned. That's what I mean is like, he just doesn't really think about his, and he feels, and he does that with a lot of his things, but like, sure. he just doesn't really consider them to be, he doesn't take care of his things in okay. my opinion. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he came home wearing this hoodie and I immediately, the first thing he walked through the door, I was like, Hey, that's my hoodie. Take that off. And Brandon was like, what? This can't be yours. It fits me. And I was like, it's mine. And Miles goes, mom, maybe next time you should say hi to dad first. Yeah. And then, it- and then a couple of days later we were in the car and Brandon did something where he, I don't know, he was driving and he did something that was like, he was obviously not paying attention. Like he turned out in front of somebody or something and had to like quickly make the turn. And I was like, Hey, what was that? And Miles goes, mom, maybe dad's just a little tired. I was like, okay guys. Miles is going to be a therapist, man. That's you like, guys and your sensitiveness can just. <laughs> whenever I was in, go talk about your feelings. Whenever I was talking with kids and families, when I was doing like family therapy, I would always just ask the kid kids what's going on at home because they always oh, knew yeah. exactly oh, they, yeah. like they they had it to a T, and I would always be like, "All right, you tell me," because the kids have it like they have their finger on the pulse. They oh know yeah, exactly what's going on, and I'd be like, "All right, parents, did you hear that?" <laughs> That's really funny. What hoodie? Where'd you get it then, by the way? Oh, it's a Smartwell hoodie. Yeah, I got it from so work. He just, he just, and it's like a in. like a nice merino, like oversized yeah. with a with a like the it's like a it's not a base layer, but it's sort of um, mm-hmm. built like one. So that yeah. the hood is sort of like a little cocoon. Oh yeah, and it's this really cute sort of reddish, almost like a cranberry color, like a reddish purple. So you have been have had a lot of puppies in your life this week. I sure. Have. <laughs> And you had a cute post on your personal Instagram about how like being a puppy raiser has brought so many people and not to mention, of course, puppies into your life. And it's been a while since we've had an update on Joe. So talk a little bit about Joe. And also, I think it's so interesting, this puppy raiser culture Mm -hmm. that is Denver like a hotspot for puppy raisers or (laughs) is it like this like everywhere you I think I think it depends every I believe every state has a chapter for canine companions. Don't quote me on that. But Denver and the surrounding areas in Colorado that are in in Denver have a lot of puppy raisers. And because sorry, not to yeah. interrupt you, but also during the during Cadet's graduation, it felt like half the puppy raisers there were from Colorado. Yeah, there's yeah, that was interesting too. So I, I don't know the exact number. I know it exists somewhere, but don't quote me on it. I just know that there have been because Canine Companions, their main office is in Santa Rosa. So a lot of and then they have another office, like a regional office in Oceanside. And then they have like regional offices throughout the United States. So that's like East Coast, Southern, Southwest. And so they have all of these kind of like chapters within each state that represents Canine Companions. And so we have like the Rocky Mountain chapter. Canine Companions, depending on where you live. So our region is like the Southwest region. So our puppies come from the Southwest, meaning the people who caretake for the breeder dogs live next to a Canine Companions office in California. And then they ship out the puppies to the Southwest. Southwest region. So it's very rare that if you live during the pandemic, the rules totally changed, but it would be rare if you lived in the Southwest region and got a puppy from like the East Coast. It's just, they try to kind of keep it closer to the office that you're going to kind of turn the dog into. Anyway, so 
what is your question about the puppy raiser culture? Oh, I'm just curious to hear more about it. Like what you're describing now is perfect. Yeah. Okay. But do you want to, but so give us a little bit update about Joe. Joe is doing great. Joe just turned about five months old. He's, he's so cute. He's just such a cute, sensitive dog. He reminds me of like JT of what I would imagine JT is or was as a puppy. He learns commands really fast. He's much more chill than cadet. Apparently, hearing dogs have a lot more energy. There's a lot of trainers that will talk about how hearing dogs have to have a little bit more energy for the type of training that they need to do. And so it's kind of funny because now with Joe, this just seems like a cakewalk. He's just very, very chill. And also, I always like to go back to the fact that they didn't like know Cadet was going to be a hearing dog. They didn't breed her to be a hearing oh, no, no. dog. No. It just it was more that like when she got to advanced training, they're like, wow, this dog is pretty spunky and energetic. That might that those things lend themselves to, well to being a hearing dog. Let's explore that path for her. Right. Like, it's so interesting how yeah, they it's have really those different options as opposed. It's not just like oh a one size fits all. If you have these characteristics, you will be a successful service right. dog. There are so many different paths. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I've over the years I've just learned so much about it of how each dog you could. <laughs> So for example, we we watched a dog named Buena this past, like at the past week and a half, and her puppy raiser is the trainer for all of our puppy raiser classes. Like she's the head trainer. She teaches all the classes. And so she's an amazing trainer. And Buena from the get-go, I remember Buena when she was a little baby puppy because we would be in class with Cadet with Buena. Everyone was always like, oh, Buena's such a handful. And Mitzi, who's the head trainer, was like, yeah, Buena's my problem child. And like, kind of got gave her a bad reputation. So whenever we'd be in puppy class, it's like, oh, Buena's a handful. And she was. She just like had a lot of energy. She barked all the time. She wasn't really, she was like hard to settle. And so when we told all of our puppy raiser friends that we were watching Buena, they're like, you're watching Buena? And I'm like, wow. She turns into advanced training in a month. Like how bad can she be? And she's raised by Mitzi, who's like the best of the best. Right. I feel like a like poorly behaved service, service dog, dog, in like, training. dog in training yeah. is still way better behaved than like yes exactly the average pet exactly so they're like you're you agreed to watch buena and i was just like this is really funny and it was to me it was almost a challenge where i'm like how bad can she be she's fine she's like the perfect house dog she has very good house manners she's so sweet she's really bad on the leash she just is very like she pulls a lot She's very distracted. She just like wants to go. So there's a part of me that's like, it'll be interesting to see where her energy is channeled because most dogs, when you go to advanced training, you have to be really good on the leash. They have to learn how to be like right next to their handler. So I could see her kind of taking a path that's not a service dog, but maybe a hearing dog. We'll see. Yeah. So for instance, like watching her, it's really funny how, and when I was talking about this with my puppy raiser friends yesterday, some other friends that I was hanging out with is like, you you could raise a dog and think that they're, you did such a horrible job and they could be like a superstar in advanced training. So you don't worry too much about like messing the dog up if you don't train the skills, right? It's mostly about socialization. And so, yeah. So like for Buena... I would take her and Joe for runs every morning because I was like, I can't manage her and Joe on a leash and JT like can't keep up with them. So I would take her and Joe for runs, like just jogs, very light jogs. I wasn't like running fast or anything, but that way she would run next to me because we were going a little bit faster. So you kind of like learn to finesse it because Mitzi was like, you should just, you know, if you're going to take her for a walk, 
bring a bunch of kibble so she'll stay right next to you and walk. I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like, I don't, I need to walk Joe. I need to walk Buena. So we would do these little runs and it was great. And then they got tired. Scott and I were talking about this and we're like, Buena, you get a bad reputation. Like, you're a good girl. And so we were just kind of kidding around. Like, she's going to be great. Everyone just labeled her. So she I don't know where- put in the wrong click she's in just, high school. Yes, she was put in the yeah. wrong click. I don't know where, where my original, the original question with this was. Basically, it's just like how- yeah, how's Joe? Uh, I could t- talk about dogs for way too long. But I think the the point of it is every single dog you raise, you can think that they're like the most stellar dog and you just never know what's going to happen in advanced training. There's so many things that could happen. Once they get to advanced training, they could just be there and be like, yeah, this is fun, but I don't really want to be a service dog, you know? And so that's kind of like when they get released. But um, yeah, so you were saying that like Joe is super relaxed, super, he's super relaxed, super low key. Everything's just like, cruising along with his training and everything yeah he's doing great he's doing great he's um he chases the cats a little bit and so we've been working on that so we've kind of had to quarantine the cats to the other side of the house just so he doesn't have like because the thing is our cats run from him and he thinks it's a game so he's like oh this is a fun game so he chases after them if they didn't run he wouldn't care but it's that whole prey drive like in your cat's defense like i would run (laughs) yeah but it's funny because like and you're not I, gonna train the cat. Yes, exactly. But you know, one of our cats, yeah, she right. she like likes to be. She just likes to hiss at him, and he thinks that's a fun game. So you know, those are the types of things where yeah. we start to introduce the cats to him. We put him on a leash. We go back. We go say hi to the kitties, and then we're like, okay, good job. And like we were, we reward him for not chasing after them. But so I think he's doing really well. Um, his confidence is a little. Uh, I think he'll mature out of this. He has like a little bit of like mama's boy syndrome, where he just wants to be like kind of next to me, and he'll. Whenever we're playing with other dogs, he'll run between my legs. Like, that's his signature move is he's always between my legs. So he kind of, like, hides between my legs to, like, check everything out. And then he'll go play. Where Cadet was, like, fearless. I mean, she could get knocked down, rolled over, and, like, stepped on. And she'd be like, let's go. And so it's interesting to kind of see how he's, like, a little sensitive boy. But we'll see. I think he's overall his confidence is building which that's a big part in dog training as they say if dogs don't have confidence it's like you know it's really hard to work with but everything else I think is going really well and you asked earlier just kind of about the puppy raiser culture I think you know if anyone out there is thinking about being involved in an organization like this whether it's canine companions or otherwise if you want an instant family and you want a way to meet a ton of people a ton of great people I think it's a really awesome way to do that because I mean we just have so many new connections that we kind of now call family and we're always going over to other people's houses to have dog dates or like this afternoon we're doing like a fourth of july thing with our puppy raiser friends and it's just a really sweet community it's not like you're going to be friends with every single person in the community but you just meet a lot of great people and also how important it is for them to kind of understand the culture of puppy raising and just if you need help with something and so it's just been a really cool way to kind of like build our chosen family type of thing. It's really, it's really sweet. So the biggest question that I feel like we have gotten recently, and we've gotten this over the years, multiple times, but we've never talked about it directly on the podcast about people reaching out saying, Hey, I'm interested in puppy raising. Can you give me more of an, an idea about, you know, what it takes? The number one question that we get is, can you do it if you don't work from home? Yeah, you can, but I would say because I didn't work from home Well, Scott did when we had cadet. I would say the first eight weeks is really hard. So if you work, if you have a pretty intense job, meaning like there's not a lot of flexibility and you can't, you know, be home or 
maybe have the option to work from home, it would be difficult, but I'd say it would be difficult if you're doing it solo. But um, even with Scott working from home, it was really difficult for the first, I'd say, let's say four to eight weeks, kind of depending on the dog, because puppies need 24-7 attention (laughs) and 24-7 care. (laughs) So it's not impossible because once they're kind of past that like puppy, very early puppy phase, then it's a little bit more doable. You just can't really put them in a crate all day and leave them at home and then just do puppy raising in the morning at night. That's not ideal. You know, ideally you kind of I need mean, to have them around that's tough, you. Even even with a dog that you're not planning on training to be a, a right. service animal. Like if you get a new puppy, that's obviously why so many people got puppies during the pandemic. But if you right, get a new puppy, yeah. you ha- you know, those first couple of weeks yeah. are like that regardless. Yeah, so regardless. I would, you know, do you feel like there's anything particular about it because in those first few weeks, we we have talked about this. You're not really doing a lot of training. It's more about just getting them comfortable, yeah. working on their just um, routine, you're routine, just getting them into and their routine. comfort of being yeah. in your house, and you know, not comfort. What's what I'm looking for anyway? Yeah, but getting them settled. Yeah. So it's. Do, would you say that it's significantly different in those first few weeks than just bringing home a pet dog? Not really. Not yeah. really, because it is like routine, getting them used to their name, making sure that you house training, house train, there's yeah. little things that you do to train them, but it's nothing like you hit the ground running with training at all. And I think that's one of the biggest, I guess, misconceptions that people have is, especially around puppy raising, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to have the, the dog have all these commands. And sometimes you'll compare yourselves, you'll see people posting things of like what their dog is doing. It's really funny because it's just like, these are dogs, they're going to learn. And I think someone posted recently and like, we were in all these like private Facebook groups of like, oh, my five month old won't do, (laughs) my five month old puppy won't, you know, stop being interested in other dogs. And I'm like, they're five months. You can't talk to us when the dog's a year old, but like, these are things that you just kind of have to be flexible with when the dog's so young. So I wouldn't say it's much different from having a pet dog. It's just mostly like you do have to be involved in the community and go to puppy classes, which are twice a month. It is a lot of responsibility. And it's like, just if you were to have a pet, it's just the added responsibility of like training specific commands and being in part of like being involved in the community. You have to write reports every month of how the dog is doing and well, I think that it's we're overdue for some Joe content on Instagram. That's true. I have been a while. He's it has been so a while. Big. He's gotten so big. Yeah, and it's really funny because he uh, you know, they grow so fast and there's a lot of times when uh I I th- I think I just need to get more creative of like how I put him on there because so much of the training's just the same, you know? So it's like, "Oh, okay, I'm teaching him up and down and roll and, you know, brushing his teeth or whatever." And I'm like, "How many times do people really want to see this?" But maybe they do. And then just kind of like most of the time when I'm out training, it's so hard to like get your phone out when your hands are like mushy with dog treats and but I will say, circling back to 4th of July really quick as a, as a hot tip that I learned with JT, if your dog has any type of firework anxiety, which I realize this is going to release after 4th of July, but if you have any fireworks or thunder or anxiety with your dog is the lick mat that I've been posting about. I, it, part of me is like, why didn't I think of this sooner? But recently we uh, had some fireworks in the neighborhood and JT has horrible firework anxiety. It's like my least favorite holiday of the year or thunderstorms in the summer is I put smothered peanut butter. Scott and I realized peanut butter peanut butter trumps everything with this dog. And most dogs love peanut butter. So we smothered this lick mat with peanut butter and that kept him busy. So apparently like licking, the licking 
behavior sure. is like very soothing for dogs. Yeah. And then really on top of that, me. peanut butter. I know a lot of people will put like, you know, freeze a huge Kong and then they'll lick the Kong. So like, that's another way to do it. But um, because the other thing is JT won't eat anything when he's stressed out. So we can't give him any type of like treats or like try to like put him in a happy mood and like be jolly and then like give him a treat because you try to like make it a fun game. He won't have it because he's just like past the point of no return with his anxiety. So oh, uh, we, yeah, it, it's it's really bad. I mean, it is like shaking bad. So the other night he woke me up because he's like, mom, this is fireworks. And so I went and got the lick mat and he did it. And then he like calmed down. So we did try the Trazodone last year. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan for my dog. I It kind of like made him stoned and his eyes all droopy. And he just basically was like looking at me in this like very confused state of he's still awake, but just chilled out. And I didn't, I felt like the most, like the worst dog owner ever. Didn't work for my dog. Maybe it works for your dog. Anyway. Okay. So that's the dog content. Uh, I just wanted to give that hot tip because I was like, the lick mat has been such a savior for us with Joe and for JT. And I can post a link if you guys want to check it out. I got mine on Amazon. There's like a million of them. However, hot tip, we got a lick mat for River and she ate it. She ate it? Yeah. But she eats everything. She ate a couch. Literally everything. She ate a couch. We got her one of those, like, they make these, like, they look like almost pumice stones you can put in their water bottle, a water bowl, and it keeps their, it helps it so that their pee won't burn your grass. And she ate that. Ate no. This was when she was a puppy. <laughs> and I, I mean, it like, it does dissolve over, over time, over a couple of weeks. So it wasn't like completely, it wasn't a, rock, a true rock. It was kind of more like a really long release Oh noon my tablet. Gosh, that is so funny. <laughs> she ate that. She ate a huge um, noon. Yeah, she just eats everything. And we always kind of people are like, oh, how does River do with the fireworks? And like the honest answer is that she's too stupid to be scared. Like she's not imagining, like, this is a danger. She's like, loud noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She doesn't it doesn't compute for her. No, it doesn't. It's so funny. It's wonderful. She's so great. She oh. has had like kind of a little uh sore throat, I think, the last few days. She barks and then she kind of like clears her throat a couple times. <laughs> Or if she gets breathing really hard, she starts kind of clearing her throat. Oh, and like I, you know, I was like, is she dry heaving? Is this she COVID? She literally is acting like she just has like a little bit of a scratchy throat because, and it only happens when she barks. In the next like two or three minutes, she's kind of going. Like she has a frog in her throat. It's so cute, and she's still like her energy is still fine. She's still eating everything, so you know we're watching out obviously for all the the warning signs that she actually could be getting sick and yeah, it's really right. not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just the dry air. Cause we have had yeah. zero rain here. So oh, we've had some, have you? you? No, we've like sprinkles. Getting, like little, yeah. Sprinkles, but sprinkles are enough to keep it from catching on fire. At least. Oh, is it? Um, Cause that makes me sad. I get, yeah. I get really worried about the droughts. It does. This is yeah. what it was like when I was growing up where we would get, it would be like hot in the morning, really hot in the middle of the day. And then around like two to three to four o'clock, you'd get, a little storm that would roll through and it wouldn't always hit every area, but it would, you know, give you cloud cover. And then every once in a while, you would be the neighborhood that got hit with the rain. And that was really enough to keep everything from catching on fire, which is what we've been missing the last several years. But anyway, okay. So let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Ned. Hey, Ned. Hello, Ned is what you mean. (laughs) Hello, Ned. So close. So close. We know, you know, and love them. We know and love them. The makers of our favorite CBD and magnesium products. 
We love them for so many reasons. And one of my favorite reasons, which we talk about a lot, but this is a big deal, guys, is that they third-party test all of their batches. The batch number on this on your CBD tinctures is literally handwritten, handwritten. on the label. You're able to go online and look up the exact concentration of all the different cannabinoids. A lot of their blends also have botanicals in them. And you're able to go up and look at exactly what the breakdown is of what it is that you're taking. This is not an industry standard. As we all know, or maybe you don't know this, but CBD is not regulated by the FDA. And so they're not required to do this. This is something that they do that goes above and beyond so that you can really be confident about what it is that you're taking. We think that it just shows a real commitment to that transparency. We know that there's still, you know, questions out there about CBD. Is it effective? Is it going to actually help you with what you need help with? And so the other thing is that for your first purchase, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can try it out for an entire month. And if it's not giving you the results that you want, the thing about CBD and all botanicals and really most more natural remedies is that they do take longer to take effect in your body. You need to use them for several days, if not a couple of weeks to let them to let them sort of work in your system because the changes that they're working on within your system are a little bit more subtle. And so it can take a little while for those subtle changes to have the domino effect with the rest of your systems that you want it to have. So be patient, give it a few weeks. But if at the end of those few weeks, you're still not seeing results, you can return it and get your money back. As you guys know, I love their daily blend and their mellow magnesium blend. Joy loves their de-stress blend and their sleep blend. You really can't go wrong. Check them out. HelloNed.com. It's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash joy or use discount code joy and just support this wonderful brand. They're local to Colorado. We love the founders. They're They're really intentional about the farms that they use. Really, if you need a CBD product, we hope that you will use this one. So thank you for supporting the brands that support our podcast. Thank you guys so much. Yay, Ned. Yay, Ned. Okay, I have a quick question for you because a lot of people ask about this uh, with your workout routine and the program that you're doing. Can you just run through yeah, that yeah. again? Because a lot of people ask about it. Yes. Um, so a lot of people have been asking about my skincare routine recently. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, for the past, what, eight six or eight months have been using Hungry Fitness workouts, which Hungry Fitness is a brand that's run by Michaela North, who is a former CrossFit Games team athlete um, and also former, I think she did collegiate sports. I can't remember what, but so now this is her thing. She like does this programming and then she has a team of, I don't know, maybe a handful of other coaches that, that work with her. It's really, I mean, I've talked to her about it in a lot of detail and she has said, you know, anyone can use this, but we really write this with busy parents in mind because that's who she has four kids. I think most of her coaches have families. And so it's really, that's who they program for is somebody who may have an hour one day, but only 20 minutes the next day. And so it's just a subscription app. You download a specific app to your phone. It's 20 bucks a month, or you can get it. You can start with $1 for the first month. I think there's a code. I think it's like newbie. This is not an ad by the way, obviously, but if you want to try it out, it's only $1 for the first month. It's kind of more bodybuilding style workouts. And by that, I just mean that it's a lot of like free weights and, and, you know, there's a leg day and an arm day versus if you want something more kind of CrossFit-y or Metcon-y, I think the choice that most people go to for those types of workouts is street parking. Street parking. Yeah. I came to find, I mean, I tried street parking for a long time and I just came to find that I don't really enjoy doing those types of workouts by myself. Yes. I can see that. I I really love them in a group, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to really want to, I don't enjoy them by myself. And so, and the other thing program like that, like um, with hungry fitness would be 
more like motivating on your own because like yeah. I do a lot of the Peloton workouts, the strength workouts that are, they're not Metcon-y. It's just like full on just weights and I'll do like a right. 20 minute one or 30 minute one of those. And it's just like, I can do that on my own because it doesn't feel like you need people to be like, it's all right, go. Intense, yeah. Right. It's not as intense. Yeah. And you're not like, yeah, you're not doubled over in the middle of the workout trying to catch your breath. I do love those workouts. And sometimes like I will catch a whim to do one of those workouts and I'll just look up online like a random or I'll do a CrossFit one that I know that I you'll go with it. Yeah. Right. And I'll do that. But it's not the norm for me. So I like the workouts because they have, I don't know, each workout maybe has between four and six kind of main sets. You know, so maybe you'll start out with like a warm up set and then you'll do like a leg day would be like a warm up set, which includes like some jumping squats and some step ups and some glute bridges. And then you'll have a set of heavy squats and then you'll maybe have a set of like heavy dumbbells or heavy box step ups. And then you'll have, I don't know, maybe like some banded kickbacks and then some other lunges or something. And the way that she writes it, there's always comments at the top that are like, if you're short on time, prioritize these or, you know, here's where you want to start taking away. Like maybe there's three, three sets of each set. I don't, I forget. I don't know how to call these things. Three rounds, maybe. Three rounds of each set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it'll be like, you know, take away the, the third round or whatever. So I just like that because it makes it feel very approachable and like, they actually expect you to have to modify it a lot of the time, which the, just even though I, you know, am an independent woman who don't need no workout app to tell me what to do. (laughs) I also do sometimes feel like I was doing a Jim Jones program previously that the mentality behind that particular brand is a lot more like go hard. Oh yeah. You know, give it your, like how you do anything is how you do everything. Put in your all every time. And I can appreciate that too. Like if you have a more all or nothing mindset, but this was a very all or nothing mindset. And so a lot of times for me, I'd be like, well, I know for a fact that I don't have an hour to do this. So I guess I'm just, since I can't do it all, I guess I'm not doing it anything. So that's what I like about the hungry fitness one. Um, So I've been doing it for six or eight months. I definitely have gotten stronger. I am trying this summer to be a little bit better though, about specifically adding in, some more cardio, which I hate, but I have noticed that, you know, with CrossFit, you kind of get it all in one package. And that's kind of the benefit of CrossFit is that you really get it all done in an hour. And, um, I definitely have noticed that my cardiovascular fitness has not really gone anywhere while Mm -hmm. as my strength has improved. So yeah, trying to work in some zone two cardio, which is like, I read this book recently called training for the uphill athlete. I think I talked about it on our interview with Kelly Lutz where it's it's all written for endurance athletes, like mountain endurance sports, like trail running and backcountry skiing and cross-country skiing and alpine travel, whatever. I mean, just being in the alpine is an endurance activity. It talks a lot about how in, you know, we, a lot of training that came out in like the eighties and nineties made us think that, or a lot of studies. And again, and obviously almost all studies, um, fitness studies are done on able-bodied men, Mm -hmm. cisgender men. So, you Mm -hmm. know, we got to take all this to the grain of salt, Mm -hmm. but that almost all of these studies had the hypothesis that if you want to increase your lactate threshold or your aerobic threshold, that you needed to train right at your threshold and like thereby sort of pushing the limits every time and stretching it out like the way that you would, you know, stretch out a pair of pants. Now they're starting to think, or in the past several years, they've been starting to think, actually, what you need to do is go back to a conversational pace or, you know, right around zone two, where you're just kind of right at that. You can say a a sentence, but you can't maybe carry on an entire conversation. And that's where you actually build your aerobic capacity um, because that is actually where you can start 
you can teach your body to optimize ATP transfer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I've been trying to do more of that because I, I think have that's- like. I think no that's amazing. Well, and it's think- also nice to not feel like you have to be right at that limit all the right. time in order yeah. for your training to be effective. That's so true. A lot of the classes that I take on Peloton are what they call power zone training, which is, you know, everyone knows, probably knows what that is. But you do like a test at the beginning to figure out your power zones, like your own personal power zones. And then they have this like graph at the bottom. So when you take the class, he'll be like, be in zone two. And then be in zone three. And most of the time, so there's five zones. I think it's five or six for these classes. Most of the time, you're only training in a two or three. Like, you think that you just have to, like, go hard and, like, push yourself to the limit. And he'll do, like, 45 to 60-minute classes where you're just literally just going from, like, two to three, maybe into four. But yeah. I think that's just a I, – I really like that. And it just feels really good. So you don't have to be, like, you know, Right. It's not like lungs. a hit workout the whole time. Right, right. Which yeah. those are great, too. You know, those Right. There's a time and place for those. But I think it's just, um, you know, depending on what your goals are. And if your goal is to, like, really have a workout where you feel exhausted at the end, sometimes I feel so good and it's so cathartic. And, right. Um, I Yeah, like I said, like, I do still I, – sometimes I miss that. And sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm going to go do – I don't – you know, I'm going to go just – to make up some random workout that has a bunch of burpees and thrusters and box jumps and like just get that release. Right. You know what I've been wanting to do lately and I haven't done it yet. Maybe I could do it with like a group of people or something like, hey, everybody out there wants to do <laughs> the seven minute of burpees. Let's <laughs> just do that. Like, Yeah, that was an open workout. What, 2014 maybe? Oh gosh, no, it was before that. Earlier? I was, like was it earlier? Oh, Okay. Okay. So it was an open workout for all you non-crossfitters out there, which is just like, it was so stupid. It it was like, I just remember the Wadcast podcast talking about like some like gymnast guy that won because he just had like the spring and the, he was like lighter and just like, it's just so funny how it's just like stupid human tricks. Like that's really what it is. But there's a part of me, it's like, I wonder what I would get if I did. 2012, it was 12.1. There we go. There we go. As many as possible in seven minutes. Let's see here. Seven minutes of burpees revisited. This is a morning chalk up article from 2020. Anyway, back when uh, you know, all we those, were those workouts that kind of at home. come and go. I've seen a lot over the past years of the 75 hard challenge. Have you seen that one? Oh, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. So hold on a second. <laughs> they they must have done this during the 2020 open work open. Um, oh, they redid it. I think they redid it as like a stunt, like as like a live when they were doing the like remote. Okay. Yeah. Because it says, okay. So in 2012, the winning um, numbers were, oh my gosh, it was Kristen Clever got 143. Andrea Egger, remember her? Oh my gosh. What has she been up to? Oh my gosh. She like had a baby and moved to New York City. She got second. Uh, Let's see if there's any other names that you guys know. Jolene Grant, who was one of the, I think she won the first CrossFit game. She got 136. Julie Fouché, 135. And then the rest of these are names that have faded into CrossFit. The distance. Yeah. And then for the men, Scott Panchik, who only retired last year, I think, got 161. And then, yeah, none of these other names are... What happened to Katrin? Uh, she just didn't qualify. She just straight up this year. That's so, like... I, I mean, it's an end of an era in my mind. I'm like, it's she totally just... totally the end of an era. And neither did Sarah. And I think... like So they have now this um, thing called the last chance cross... Last chance qualifier, where if you are the person... Because the 
you know, depending on the region that you're in, I think it's either the top three or the top four go to the games. And so if you're in the, or is it top three, top four, top five, they've standardized it over the years. And I don't remember it off the top of my head. It used to be like Latin America got one and like the, the Atlantic region got four. Like it didn't make any sense. I remember that. Yeah. I don't know if they've standardized it, but the point of the story is that if you missed the games by, if you were like that one podium spot off, then they take all those people and Uh, have them compete together. Okay. Okay. And so let's see here. The last chance qualifier, I think it was like last weekend based on continent. The athletes eligible to compete are from North America, sixth to eighth place, Europe, sixth to eighth place, Oceania, fourth to sixth, Asia, third to fifth, South America, third to fifth, and Africa, second to fourth. From June 20th to July 1st, 30 men and women will compete in a series of workouts throughout the weekend. The top two men and top two women will get to go to the games. So where's the leaderboard? Give me the leaderboard. That was last weekend they did this? It was last weekend. So it looks like the winners were Timothy Paulson and Jan Koski for the men. And the women, uh, Ariel Lowen from the States and somebody from Spain, Elena something. Katrin was in third, so she didn't make it still. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. What do you um, think about that? What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, I've spent so long since I followed it. I don't feel like I don't I don't really have yeah. any opinions about it. I think it. I, I mean, just it is, have a feeling of that, like I just it's it's almost like my only feeling, right? It's like, oh, end of an era. Like and we I think yeah. we talked about this a little bit during the regionals, which we watched a little a couple, you know, the a little bit of that was like, you know, th- that first wave of people who were really in the spotlight when CrossFit, like kind of the first CrossFit celebrities, CrossFit influencers, that first wave, they are now more or less all retired. And, you know, now it's like a completely different group of people that I barely recognize their names because we're just not in the the scene anymore. So I think that's interesting just to kind of be like, oh, it feels like there's been passing of the guard in the last year or two, as there should be. I mean, can you imagine Katrin? I mean, she won in like 2015, I want to say. It was a long time ago. And I just, yeah, it's it's so interesting to me because I think about like, you know, obviously our roots are in CrossFit of podcasting. Right. And I think about, you know, like Brooke Entz and how oh, yeah. she, had a, she had a moment, like she had a moment and then it just like kind of went away. It was like, well, for her, just had like a lucky break that day. Well, I think it actually was that for her, she really wanted to be like a physique focus. You know, she wanted, she was an extra in Wonder Woman and all these, you know, the Fantastic Four, like she wanted to go that direction. And I think there was one year where she tried to train for both at the same time. She tried to like Mm. really train physique while she was training CrossFit and was like, oh, I can't like, you can be very fit and active. Like you can be very good at CrossFit and while you're training physique, but you can't be a physique like competitor at that level. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing. Um, but I don't I mean, mean to make light of it, but you are like, you're yeah, not right. fueling. Yeah. You're not at a, yeah, you're in a calorie deficit. I think so. I mean, Katrin's been competing in the game since 2012. So can you imagine competing at that no. level no. for 10 years doing that to your body for your that body long? It's just probably like, we're like, they're calling uncle. Yeah. Uncle, please. Yeah. Please and then, and then I know we're on like a little CrossFit tangent, but we're just going to end here is uh, Dave Castro coming back. Also um, something I don't know anything about. I don't really know much about. I just saw that uh, Morning Chalk Up article that he's re- returning to CrossFit HQ after being fired. So yeah. I don't know what that is going to entail, nor do I like super care. It's just kind of like... It's like one of those things. It's almost like watching life of someone unfold via Facebook that you were like close with in college. And then you like meet up with a mutual friend, which is you and I. 
And you're like, are you and me? And you're like, oh my gosh, did you see that Tiffany got engaged? <laughs> he vapes now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh, did you, have you, do you know the guy? Like, no, I don't know, but he looks really nice. Yeah. Like this is that, it feels like that caliber of conversation yeah. at this point where we're like referring to someone who we used to be close with. We had like a mutual close friend and then we like, you know, yeah, well, it's like some distance from it's them. It's totally like when I go home to Arizona to all my high school friends and I'm like, what's the hot gas? Yeah. Like, hot like, like, like we still want to talk about the people we went to high school with and like yeah. what the drama is. Yeah. And we're like, it's 25 years later, but we're still like, okay, tell me you all the gossip. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Who's getting divorced? Who's getting divorced? Tell me. Tell me everything. And then I, I also want to read a really cute email that we got a couple weeks ago when we did the airplane breakdowns or the airport breakdowns. Rosie wrote in and said, when the book The Fault in Our Star- Stars came out, I thought it was about astronomy. <laughs> I started reading it at the beginning no, of a fl- No, 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 no. I started reading it at the beginning of a flight and cried until we landed. Thankfully, the two strangers on either side of me decided to pretend that nothing unusual was happening while I was shakily turning the pages and blowing my nose for the 20th time. And then she said, P.S. If you read this on the podcast, please feel free to shout out my cousin, Sarah. She is the mom of two young kids and working full time, basically being a superhero all day, every day. She and I have listened to you since the GGW days and we love you too. Thank you, Rosie and Sarah. That's such a great story. Thank you for that. If you guys don't know about the Fault in Our Stars, first of all, where were you in like the early two, you know, what year did that, did that book come out? Let's look it up. Because it was now it's a movie. Like the movie came out in 2014. So when did the book come out? Oh, I just By the way, I got really confused when people started calling the decade of 2000 to 2009 the aughts. Oh yeah, it's have you heard of that? Oh yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, and I was like, what does that mean? But I guess it's mm-hmm. uh, the equivalent term used in British. As like the teens or that right? It's like the equivalent of the teens. Naughties. They call it the naughties. The so now they call it the aughts. The aughts. Yeah interesting anyway anyway this book came out in 2012 it's about like two teenage cancer patients finding love so just imagine how like tragic like, and sad that is so tragic it's so tragic and sad and i i feel like i remember reading it and it was a quick yeah it was definitely like an airplane read but it would be a do you do you have you ready for it if you weren't ready have you ever been like surprised by a movie or a book that you just like bulge your eyes out i have two go ahead because i don't the i mean it's it's stupid now because you're like joy what were you thinking but um Marley and me. I did not know. Oh, I, I have not. I will not. No, no, no. I, I was not. I I <gasps> thought it was going to be like a cute story about a dog. And I watched the movie and I had a, I mean, I just had a full on meltdown at the end of that movie. This was even before I had a dog. I can't even imagine watching it now with dogs. And then the other one is Dear Zachary. If you've never watched. I've never I'm even sh- heard of that one. Oh my God. Okay. So I know I mentioned this at some point in our podcasting tenure here because that movie, it's a documentary. It's a crime. It's like a true crime documentary. And a, a filmmaker memorializes his murdered friend. And it's all about his friend's son. So it's called Dear Zacharias, A Letter to a Son About His Father. So that's like the best friend making this movie to like memorialize his murdered friend. I <laughs> I think I've said this before. I'm sorry if this is a repeat story. But I had like a mask on. Like I wore like, or not a mask mask, but like I put on like a face mask while I was watching the movie. And by the end, I was just crying so hard that the, the mask was just like dripping down my face. So just a heads up if you really want, I mean, it's a great documentary, but it is just, it took me by surprise. Gut-wrenching, yeah. Gut-wrenching, crying, like just, oh, 
my goodness. No, uh, I've never had, I like, I'm pretty good about not watching movies that I think are going to be like that. Maybe the only time where I've had an experience like that is because it was had more to do with me. Like I was really sleep deprived and like this movie that should not have made me cry did make me cry. I think I've never done that. I'm pretty good about like not watching movies that I think are going to be sad when I'm in a fragile state, but sometimes I've more done it. It's been more about me than the movie that like, I'm really tired or I've had a you right. know, big day and then I'll watch something and it makes and like a movie that shouldn't make me cry. Like, yeah. like crying at a Hallmark commercial type oh, of totally. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you watch like the nature documentaries, I don't know. Oh, something about yeah. nature makes me cry. <laughs> nature is brutal. Nature is brutal. Okay. Sad. <laughs> well, let's, let's end on a light note. Did you, have you watched anything fun lately? <laughs> um, I haven't really watched, surprising. I've always say this. I haven't really watching anything recently. <sighs> Um, okay, uh, I did read some books when I went on my surf trip to Mexico that I would like to talk about now. Have I already talked about these? Mm-mm. I don't think so. So I read two books, which I used to read all the time. I was an English major in college, which means at any given moment, I was reading like five books. And then before I had kids, I read a lot. Like I was always in the middle of something, you know, and um, since having kids, I just don't read as much. And it's because I am so exhausted at the end of the day. And like any little moment throughout the day, like you don't have, it's really hard to sit down for 10 minutes of the book. And when you have kids, it's really hard to find more than 10 minutes of uninterrupted time. And when it's bedtime, I want to go to bed. So I took two books with me on my surf trip to Mexico and I read them both. The first one I read was Braiding Sweetgrass, which has been recommended to me uh, dozens and dozens of times. It's written by a woman who is a Native American who is a botany professor. She talks about how it's really the whole book is about trying to reconcile the current world that we live in with the native concepts of like the honorable harvest and really recognizing the earth as part of the human, you know, that we're all connected versus thinking about nature and humans as separate and thinking about how, you know, humans are part of the natural world as opposed to humans are managing the natural world. It was really, really good. I will say it's it was a little bit of a slow read. It's all like essays. I don't really know what I was expecting, but I didn't, that's not really what I was expecting. So it was a little bit of a slow read, but I really enjoyed it. And it really gets you thinking a lot about the, a lot of the, the just processes that we take for granted and the availability of things that we take for granted. And then the other book I read was is another one that has gotten a lot of recommendations, which is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I loved also. Very, very different. It went very, very fast. And so if you're going to take those two books on vacation, read Braiding Sweetgrass first, <laughs> because if you try to read that one second, it'll feel like you're like stuck in the mud. S- slowing but, down. Yeah. But it was really, it was, I would say it did live up to the hype. The only thing I didn't like about it, if you've read this, this is not a spoiler, but if you've read it. I'm curious if you have the same, the main character. So what it is, is it's this woman is a journalist and she is contacted to write the biography of this aging, but once very, very famous starlet. So it would almost be like if somebody contacted you, if you had been contacted to write, like if Marilyn Monroe is still alive today, like you're writing her biography and she's never written a book or spoken to anyone. So it really just follows like that. And then through that, she really write, you know, tells the story of this actress. The journalist, whose name I'm forgetting right now, who's sort of the main character, the only part about the book that I didn't like was I can't stand her dialogue. There was something about the way her dialogue was written that was like too on the nose. I just, it didn't feel like real human speak. So that made me, that drew me a little nuts. But other than that, great book, really recommend. I also have been listening to, I always am listening to like some sort of like random leadership book. Oh, and the other thing I was gonna say is I tried to start reading The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, Besser Vendekloek, yeah. And within the first like literally two sentences, it was like, 
over 30% of Americans witness trauma in their childhood, witness a parent being beaten. And I was like, and I cannot. <gasps> Gotta be yeah, right a, mindset for that. That's a really intense book. That's um, one of the kind of like leaders in trauma as far as like the counseling world goes. I did a training with him last month. It can't, It became kind of hyped up. I think social media kind of like hyped it up. It's it's been around for a long time, but it basically talks so much about like how you store trauma in the body and how this is a big theory, like in EMDR therapy. It's good and it's intense, but it talks a lot about trauma. I would I would recommend a lighter version if you guys want to like learn more about like trauma and how it shows up in your life would be to listen or read um, Dr. Gabor Mate. He is phenomenal, and I would actually prefer him over. Besser Vanderpool. That's good to know because I've yeah. I've heard like a lot of my friends have read the body keeps the score and are like it's so mind you know mind blowing these connections you have to read it and then as soon as they started reading no. it I was like, no. I feel like I'm gonna have some trauma from this book yeah and I I don't mean to be like critical but when I did his training it's very old school thinking like he's he hasn't evolved much with the way that he thinks about trauma. So when I listened okay, okay. to him speaking, it kind of it and like no, he does he's done a lot of great work. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be critical, critical, but just as as someone who's been in the field as long as I have, I'm like, and there's been a lot of like evolution in how we treat trauma and how we think about trauma. And so I think that I always have a chuckle when like things become mainstream that have been around for so long where I'm like, oh, but there's been, there's like so much different work. So I would, anyone out there who wants to have like a different viewpoint of trauma and how you work through trauma and how trauma shows up for you is Dr. Gabor Mate, G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E is his last name. And then I posted this, I've posted this a few times, but if you ever go to the um, Last Day podcast, the interview with him is phenomenal. I I feel like I got more out of that podcast than I did sitting in a two-day training with Besser Van der Kolk. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, great. Hot tip. FYI. Uh, great. Well, I think that's it for us this week. <laughs> kind of all over the place. All over. There. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Ned, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash joy or use discount code joy. Check out their stuff. We love it all. You can't go wrong. And if you feel like you went wrong, then they have a 30-day money-back guarantee So yeah. for your first order. So give them a shot. You can find us on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can find us at our website, joyandclaire.com. You can email us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. Thank you for hanging in there with us. We will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.